And we are super blessed to have Nikki and Sila here in person, not on the screen. It's been amazing to have you here. For those of you who don't know Nikki and Sila, they are the pioneers, authors um, of the marriage course, not just the marriage course, the parenting course as well, which has blessed millions of people around the world. They come, that course comes out of Holy Trinity Brompton, which is the home of Alpha, and uh, have worked alongside um, Nikki Gumbel for many, yeah. many years, way back. And so, church, can we give Nikki and Silla a really, really big welcome here tonight? We are so excited to be here. This has been an absolutely amazing day. What a beautiful community there is here, Nathan. We just feel so blessed by everybody we've met by being here. So thank you for having us. And it sounds so exciting what God is doing amongst you and through you. There's so much going on, which is brilliant. Thank you so much. Well, we certainly feel blessed. And tonight is special because um, you had the idea of why don't we do an interview style tonight. Uh, there's a lot of younger people here um, tonight as well. And this is a massive issue, the issue of relationships and navigating that what the Bible says about this, and um, God cares about each one of us deeply. He cares about our relationships with one another. So we're going to have a bit of a chat tonight, which is going to be good. And uh, I thought to start off with, though, it might be interesting for the audience to hear, the crowd to hear how you both met each other would be interesting to hear. Would you like to hear that story? Shall I start? Yeah, okay. Well, we met eons ago, before any of you were ever born. And um, we were actually only teenagers. We met when I was just 17. I was still at school. And Nikki was 18. And with a full head of hair. This is an important <laughs> part of the story. And we ended up in next-door holiday cottages for two weeks. And I fell madly in love. The only problem was I didn't know what he felt. And I fell madly in love. And I didn't know what she felt for two weeks. But it eventually came out. The end of the two weeks that we felt the same. Yeah, and so we started going out. At that point, neither Nikki or I uh, were Christians. We did not know Jesus personally. And then two years later, when we were at university, there was a university mission. And um, over a period of time for Nikki and in a shorter space of time for me, we both came to uh, faith. Um, and actually, on the same night, we prayed and, and said to Jesus, we really want to follow you. So that made quite a big difference in our life. That's an understatement. And it, it made a, had a massive impact on our relationship. And I'd been exploring Christianity. I remember when I first went up to university, somebody talked to me about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And I I couldn't get my head around this. I, I didn't know what they were talking about, but I, I sort of I talked to them. I explored things. I listened to talks, and I got to the point of thinking it's true. But my fear was that Jesus would come in between us, because Scylla was the most important thing in my life. And um, and I, I prayed this sort of first really honest prayer. I said, God, if you are there, Jesus, if you really are alive and you're the Son of God. I need to become a Christian, but you need to convince Scylla as well, because I don't think I can do it unless she does. And so what took me about five months of exploring took Scylla 24 hours. She got there very quickly. That's actually pretty true of our relationship ever since. It's much quicker. But that, what I fear, Jesus coming between us, actually was completely the opposite. Jesus took our relationship to a completely another level as we began to discover his ways of loving. And, and that was, I mean, it, it sounds all kind of very rosy. Oh, wonderful. They became Christians and then they lived happily ever after. Actually, we had a lot to learn. We thought we knew how to do our relationship. You know, we were just part of what everybody else was doing in the culture and we were sleeping together. And then, you know, nobody said to us to stop sleeping together. It was totally the witness of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we just knew when we gave our life to Christ that there was a different way yeah. and that that was something that should be kept for that safe commitment of marriage. And that was really challenging, I can tell you. And, um, but God was so gracious the way he showed us that his ways of doing, uh, loving someone 
are really good. And he showed us other ways to really uh, uh, show our love to one another. And I think, I mean, you know, because many of you are young and you, you just think, well, what's, what's wrong with that? You know, if you love someone, that's a way of showing them. I think he taught us the difference between lust and loving. Mm. And there is a difference. And, and it's, it was a very important thing for us to learn. And I can honestly say it was two and a half years from that point until we got married. Um, and it was, it was not easy, but it was such a blessing because when we did get married, we really knew that, that, that this giving of ourselves fully, that gift of your, your um, sexuality is something so precious and God designed it to be given to the person that you are going to um, be with for the rest of your life. There's a pretty great story actually around how God challenged you in that to put him first in your relationship. And it's a story that I hear we've resurrected. You haven't told for a long time, but could you share with that story? It's a great story about how um, God led through that. Well, it was after um, seven months after we became Christians that we both independently felt that we should take time apart mm -hmm. in order to ensure that God was first in our lives. And before that, you know, our relationship was first, each other was first, and that was a massive shift for us. But we couldn't bear the thought, so we, we didn't say anything until eventually one weekend it came out. I was at university in Cambridge, Silla was at art college in London. She'd come up every weekend. And um, so one weekend when she came up, we both said, no, we need to spend this time apart. And oh my goodness, it was the last thing on earth we wanted to do. And I remember... So, Silla, getting the train on Monday morning and me waving goodbye, it was rather, it was still getting light, it was misty, it was like, you know, a film, like sort of, I don't know, Casablanca, I can't think what the film is, Dog Shivago, something like that. Will I ever see her again? But for us, it was saying um, to God, God, we want to put you first, we want to know, is our relationship right? Should we be together? Well, I determined that I, Silla was in London and I wouldn't go anywhere near London. That was going to be too difficult to go there and not see her. And uh, we agreed we would still write letters. In those days, you know, we had a pen and ink and posted things. And no phones. <laughs> no phones, but we wouldn't talk to each other for Mobile those four phones. months. And then um, a week later, uh, I was going with three other friends to my old school to play football. And then when we got in the car to come home, this friend who was driving us said, oh, I'm so sorry, I need to go back via London because I've got to pick up something with my parents. And my heart sank. I thought, oh, no, I've been trying to avoid London. But he, his parents lived in a completely different part of London to Silla. And as you know, it's a big city. So he dropped us and he said, I will pick you up from this place in half an hour's time. And so with my two friends, we were looking around. We thought we'd just cross the road and go and get a, a Big Mac. So McDonald's just across the street. And I, I, just before we crossed the street, I just glanced up to see if there was any traffic coming. And when I glanced up the street, I suddenly saw about, I don't know, about 50 yards away, there was Scylla walking towards me. Uh, I couldn't believe it. And I, I said at that point, I just said to my friends, forget it, you go on without me. And I ran towards her. She ran towards me when she saw me and I just picked her up and I whirled her around. Wow. Anyway. And, and uh. I had left Cambridge at that week and I had cried and cried and cried for days. And I thought the end of the world had come. And then um, this was about a week later and I was still not in very good shape. And I'd gone to this Bible study group, which was in a different part of the city. And I was on a bus and I got, it was pouring with rain. And As it does sometimes in <laughs> London. And I got, I mean, this bus just got gridlocked. And I just really felt God saying, just get off the bus and walk. Um, and literally that was what I did. I stepped out of the bus, I turned right, and there was Nikki. And you know, it was the most extraordinary thing because it, it totally said to me, God is in control. Yeah. God is sovereign. I can trust him. Mm. I need never doubt him again. If he can bring this about and assure us that, you know, yes, he's got it. 
I need never doubt him again. And I can honestly say I haven't. For me, that was just his way of showing me that I could absolutely put him and, first and trust him. And, you know, meeting like that, it was a, I don't know, it was a billion in one chance that yeah. that would happen at that particular moment. And we, we did keep to not seeing each other for four months because we needed to know whether we were, God wanted us to be together. But we did it, as Silla said, with a completely different sense. Yeah, we can trust God. He yeah. can show us. And yeah. by the end of four months, there was no doubt in our minds. So we sort of then were on a trajectory towards marriage. Well, isn't that such a great story to hear? <laughs> and I think that in itself is such a powerful message for everyone here tonight, that this area of their life, which is a big area and can cause a lot of worry, what's going to happen, but to know God, they can trust God in this area of their life as well. You've invested your whole life in, in helping people in their relationships, in marriages. What prompted you or led you to, to do that? Can you share a little bit about that? Um, I think, you know, it's very easy to think, oh gosh, you know, they knew exactly what they were going to do with their life and they were always going to develop a marriage course and a, whatever. But we didn't know that at all. But it is so amazing how God uses our experiences, our circumstances, our life um, in his plans. He kind of, you know, brings it all together in an extraordinary way. And because we had met young, we'd been through this experience we've just described, and of coming to faith and then, and then getting married quite young, um, that lots of friends and lots of other young people would come and ask us questions. What was it like? How do you do this? What's this mean? What, how do you, you know? And we found that- How do you know? How do you know? And, and we found that that was something we just, we loved talking to other people and praying with other people about relationships. And, and so really that was the start of it. And, um, and then you say about when we came to HTB. Then we HTB. joined the staff at HTB, our church in London, um, in 1985. I was ordained. We joined the staff. And one of the first things we started... We'd been married for nine years by then. Yeah. And one of the first things we were asked to do was to do the pre-marriage course for couples getting married in the church. And there were, well, Stella thinks there were three of them. There were actually five of them in the room, the, that very first course that we did. This is an unresolved... <laughs> argument between us but we're absolutely agreed there were not four I, I know it was five actually sort of thinks it was three but anyway we started with a small number mm -hmm. and um, we just told them the things that had been really helpful to us in our marriage in those first nine years and it made a big difference you could see it even as they started to talk these things through in for their relationship and then they started to talk to their friends about this course and we got uh, people coming who weren't churchgoers at all saying, can we come? And we said, well, as long as you understand this is based on biblical Christian principles of loving, you're very welcome. And they loved it. And they talked to their friends. And this course just grew and grew. And then we started the marriage course because we wanted to follow up people who'd done the pre-marriage course. We thought it'd be for couples in their first five years of marriage. But then we got couples to be married 10 years, 20 years, 40 or more years, and they all said, this is really helpful. And for us, we just saw that these things that had helped us helped them. Mm -hmm. We saw the impact. We saw how then it spread out, and these courses got bigger and bigger. We were having 150 couples at a time. We ran each course three times a year. And we got to the point of thinking, you know, every couple needs to know this. Mm -hmm. Every couple needs to have the opportunity to learn some uh, just pretty basic things, actually, and then get them talking. We always, on all the courses, it was only private conversations. There was no group discussion, just between these couples. They discover things about each other. They grow in their relationship. And that became a passion for us because we felt if every couple mm. did the pre-marriage course before marriage, if every couple did the marriage course once they were married, the, the, the society would be changed. There's no doubt in our minds. Children would grow up with their parents together. Couples would, it would just change the fabric of our society. Mm. And we, we never had any marriage preparation ourselves. Yep. And so our first year or so of marriage was quite interesting because I had a lot to learn. Poor Nikki. And so did I. <laughs> <laughs> 
And but it was amazing because we we ha went away for a weekend with an older, wiser married couple yeah. after about a year and a half, and we just learned some very very good practical tools and skills, and we started putting those into practice, and we realised what mm. a, an amazing help and what a big impact on our relationship those were. And I think it was out of that that we realised, wow you really can learn about relationship skills and, and it makes a big difference. And to, to help people realize it's not hit and miss. It's yeah. not if you happen to marry the right person. Mm. It's actually if you learn to do the right things to cause your relationship to grow, your marriage to grow. And actually, of course, these principles are true, not just for marriage. They're true in friendships. They're true in family relationships, they're true in dating relationships too. Yeah. And God um, created us for relationship, it's how he hardwired us and the Bible, his word speaks to us about how to have healthy relationships. Can you share with us a bit from your um, experience I guess and running the marriage course, what some of those key principles that you've discovered from the Bible that are helpful for not just marriage relationships but God wants all of our relationships to flourish. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, um, some people here may have been here this morning. We were talking from one of our a passage we go back to again and again in Colossians 3. And Paul is very practical. He's talking about how do you build relationships as Christians. And has this little phrase right in the middle of it where he says, put on love. Mm. And what is clear is Paul is talking about love, not just as a feeling, but as something that we do an action as, as, as deliberately as we would get dressed in the morning, we put a shirt on, we're to put on love. And then he describes what, what it involves. He talks about clothing yourselves with kindness. Kindness is recognizing another person's needs, putting yourself out to meet that need. And it's all about the other person rather than what do I feel. And you know, we live in a very me-centered culture today. And actually that, that causes people a lot of problems, I think, in relationships. How is this affecting me? What am I feeling? But for Paul in the New Testament, it's the other way around. How can I love this other person? What can I do? And it's all predicated on what Paul says before that, which is you are dearly loved. You are loved by God. And it's out of the knowledge that we are loved by God. That's where our security comes from. That's where our identity comes from. It's out of this knowledge that we are loved that then we're able to reach out and to love others rather than always needing to receive love ourselves from other people. That's good. One of, one of the most um, difficult and challenging, but one of the most essential ingredients for a strong, healthy relationship is the ability to forgive. Because in every relationship, we're gonna upset each other, we're gonna hurt each other, we're gonna get it wrong, we're gonna say wrong things, we're gonna do wrong things, most of the time, not intentionally. And Paul says in that passage, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we say it in the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, and we, we really had to learn that in our marriage relationship. I mean, I thought, you know, I thought love would somehow magically prevent me from ever having to forgive Nicky because I loved him. But actually, about a year in, I realized um, that, well, there was an incident where I felt very upset by some stuff that Nicky said to me. And we were just going away for a weekend. And I kind of... It was around money. It was around money. <laughs> and I felt, I mean, I'm not very good with We have money. a very different attitude towards money. <laughs> and so um, there's... So there's I, you don't I'm need to go into the details. I'm better you don't need to go into I'm the better details. at saving the money. Sylla's much better at using the money. <laughs> there, we have different strengths, but Sylla felt rather upset. Anyway, by I felt very well, I didn't upset. I I had no idea what I'd done. <laughs> and at that stage, I wasn't very relationally literate. And I should have said, I feel really upset and a bit accused by that. Could we talk about it a bit more? I didn't do that. I just went into a complete mood and shut down and thought, I don't want this to spoil the rest of the weekend. I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. And, da -da 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 -da. and I could see that something was seriously wrong. I had no idea what I'd done, though. I, I, <laughs> I didn't know how to fix it. And actually... 
and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but <laughs> this is not about the money now. But um, when I met Sula's family, her father would go into moods. He was a wonderful man. I loved him. But he would just go into moods. And if he was upset, he would, just for 48 hours sometimes, you know, you couldn't talk to him. And it spoiled everything in the household. And that was the pattern that Sula had had. And she, she went into one of her moods, her sulks. So anyway, during this weekend, it got worse and worse. And, you know, communication, nil. Relationship, going downhill fast. And eventually, I just, like, it exploded and it all came out. And I told him. And poor Nicky, I mean, he didn't even really understand, I mean, know what he'd done. But anyway, I told him. And um, he said... Then, then I did understand. <laughs> And then, and then he, he said, sorry, he hadn't intended to make it like that. And, um, and it was at that moment that I realized for the first time, do you know, I'm feeling full of self-pity. I'm feeling full of resentment towards this man I love. I'm feeling resentful. I've got pride in here that's stopping me kind of connecting with him. I knew I had to forgive him. I had to choose to forgive him because I did not feel like it. And, you know, that's the amazing thing. That's what I learned then. You have to choose to forgive, make a choice. So anyway, kind of I'm not proud of this, but through gritted teeth, really, I said, I forgive you. And, you know, almost instantly mm. that resentment and that self-pity just lifted. It just went. And it opened that saying, I forgive you, it just opened the way for reconnection, restoration. And then we went on to obviously talk a bit more and to, you know, make up. And that was the biggest lesson I ever learned. And I have had to say, <laughs> sorry, I and I forgive you. you many, many, many times since then. It's very simple, mm. but it's very challenging. Mm. But it's absolutely at the heart of what um, Jesus teaches us about loving. It's amazing, his word and how it helps us so much. Um, you touched on that there. There are times in our relationships with others where it can be strained, there can be conflict. And a, a big part, and you speak about this a lot in the course, is how to manage that or how to um, work through that conflict, I guess is a better way of saying. How, 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 what, have, what tips have you got for us tonight when there's strain or conflict in a relationship? How to, how to work through that? Well, um, I think it's true to say every relationship has conflict. Because we're different, we have different personalities, different ideas, different perspectives, different opinions, we will experience conflict. And I think one of the things is to uh, recognize the differences and to realize that, you know, very often one approach is not better or worse than the other, it's different. And actually, if I can just take the one of money, because that was a big area of conflict for us. And for many years, I thought I was better with money than Scylla because I was quite good at managing, quite good at saving it. But it suddenly came home to me. We'd had a really big argument about money. Suddenly came home to me. Actually, I'm not better with money. We're better at different things. I'm better at saving it, as I said. Scylla's better at using it. And that's, that was such a help to me. Scylla has really helped me to be much freer yeah. with money, to sort of use it better, to give it away, to... Mm. The, the Can I add, Nikki has taught me how to budget. Yeah. <laughs> I, I grew up in a family with absolutely no teaching on how to budget and manage money, and he taught me how to manage money, and it's made a big difference. I, I think the... So that's one aspect. Yep. We have to appreciate each other's sort of strengths in the different approaches. That That makes a huge difference. But the other is that behind so much conflict, there is hurt. Yeah. And um, I remember hearing a man called Danny Silk, who's at Bethel in the US, the church there. And uh, he came and did some talks in London. I remember one phrase he said, which is, um, understanding is more important than agreement. Mm. And that really struck me. I had to think about that a lot. Understanding is more important than agreement. And one of the things I think we've realized is that in conflict, it is understanding the other person's perspective. And if you're to understand, you have to listen. 
And it's when the other person tells you what they feel like and you listen and seek to understand that. And then you can do it both ways round where there's conflict, where there's understanding on both sides. Both people are much more ready to find a solution, make a compromise, whatever it is. And we, we actually teach um, about how to be good at listening on both the pre-marriage course and the marriage course. And I mean, I'm not a naturally good listener. And I just want to assure all of you out there, there'll be some of you here who are not naturally good listeners like me. There'll be others of you like Nikki, and he is a much better listener naturally. But we can all learn and we can all go on learning how to be better listeners. And we do a kind of thing um, on those courses where we help people to really put it into practice. And one person takes an issue that they're upset about. They talk to their partner about it. The partner is not allowed to interrupt. They're not allowed to go off and say, well, you didn't really understand, you know, blah, blah, blah. They just have to listen. And then they kind of reflect back what their partner said. And the person who's got the issue and wants to talk has to be able to talk, say what's the most important part of it, whether there's something this other person can do. And it's incredible. We do it a lot. And when we have something that is really causing an issue, it's amazing the moment your partner starts to say, so this is what you feel, that when I do such and such, you feel very frustrated because I keep doing it again and again and again. And then you go, yeah, that's exactly what I feel. And you feel understood. And that is so powerful. I mean, it is the biggest gift in a relationship to listen to someone else. And Scylla talked a moment ago about forgiveness, saying she forgave me. But actually, you know, what she also showed was there was a process to it. She needed to talk to me. She needed to tell me mm. where she'd been hurt because I didn't realize it. And then I could apologize and then she could forgive. And, and that process, a very simple one, but actually it's a biblical one. That's what the New Testament teaches. You talk about the hurt rather than burying it. That's my inclination. Yep. Sinner's likely to explode. I'm likely to bury it and yep. try to keep everything calm and peaceful on the surface. But burying it doesn't work. We have to tell, uh, our, whether it's in marriage, our partner or our friend, oh, you really hurt me when you said this or that. Then they can apologize. Then you can forgive and that's a process that we've helped now many couples to work through and you know it has it has brought change healing to so many mm. relationships so many marriages i actually thought i was a great listener until i did the marriage course and i realized i was not a great listener um but i for me, out of the marriage course, the first time I did it, well, every time I've done it, that's been one of the most helpful tools to take away. And not just in my marriage relationship, but in all my relationships and in my leadership. And I now say to people, when we're talking about leadership, one of the best tools you can have as a leader is to know how to really listen well. Um, and that was from the marriage course for me, so thank you. Um, a lot of single people here tonight. We're talking a lot about marriage. What about singleness? Some here tonight who... Um, hoping one day to get married or maybe at this very moment and I'd, I'd love to be married or maybe people who are further down the journey of varying reasons are, are single can you speak into singleness and and god's perspective on that as well well i, I the first thing i'd want to say is that the new testament places equal value on singleness and marriage. It's not that one of these states is better than the other, that married people are more important than single people, or the other way around. They're both regarded as valuable, and actually describe, Paul describes them as gifts, and, and each has different opportunities. And it, I find it so interesting that in our culture today, our culture tends to undervalue both. It undervalues marriage. Many people thinking they don't need the commitment of marriage, they'll just live together. And many people undervaluing singleness, thinking being single is sad, it's lonely. But actually, we need to uphold both. And I love it that here in this lovely, beautiful community, it's a mixture of married and single people because we each have different things. And we each need each other. To give to each other. And Sun and I, we lived in, it's called a vicarage, in uh, 
London, we had a spare room and we always had a single person or single people living with us and they enriched us. They gave a huge amount to us and to our children as a family. And I, I think, I like to think that we were a blessing to them as well to be part of a, of a family. And you know, I think one of the important truths to know for, for everybody is that marriage will not fulfill our needs, our, our deepest longings. And that's not to say it's not wrong to want to be married. I don't want to, to say that because, again, I think that's a, that's a natural and it's a biblical desire to want to be married. And we need to do things in the church to help single people who want to be married. We need to help people with dating, getting together, and what that takes. We might talk about that in a moment. But um, i just got to remember where I was going with this. Uh, what did I just say, darling, just before? You <laughs> can tell we're getting tired. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It is a fourth service. <laughs> what, what was I just talking about, Nathan, just before I said that last thing about singleness and marriage? Not really, um, oh, people having people house. living in our house, expressing each other. It's gone. We need Nathan. each other. We need each other. We need each other. That's right. Thank you so no much, worries, Nathan. No it's fine. You were listening. I was listening. You're not that bad at listening after all. Nathan, <laughs> give yourself a pat on the back. Well done. <laughs> now, thank you so much. It's not marriage at the end of the day that's going to fulfill our longings. And, you know, there are people who think it will and then they get married and they're disappointed because it's not everything that Hollywood sort of stacks it up to be. But what we all need are two things. We all need friendship, and we need close, deep friendship, trusting friendships. And I think when you're Christians, it's a, there's a level of friendship you, you don't discover elsewhere. Nikki and I, you know, we've been friends. Nikki Gumbel and I yeah. should uh, say, we were friends uh, since we were, well, I was 13, he was 12. He always says I'm much older than him. I'm a little bit older. Um, and we became Christians when we were 19 at university. And our friendship went to a whole nother level. We all need friendships. And I think, again, friendships come out of this thing of knowing that we're loved by God. We're able to look outwards, to reach outwards to others. But the yeah. other thing we all need is community. Yeah. You know, we're not to be isolated as people. We're not to be isolated as married couples. Mm -hmm. We need a community like this where there's a rich interplay between us of supporting and loving and befriending. And actually, just before Scylla speaks, because I can see she's about to, <laughs> friendship is so important in marriage too. Yeah. And so that's, it's that friendship, friendship again, and friendship and marriages in community that make it work. I, I think I, I'd want to say to those of you who are single here, this is an amazing moment in your life. You have incredible opportunities to do things, to do things with God that he's calling you to do. And it's less complicated than once you get married. And I know sometimes you look at married people and say, oh, it's all right for them. You know, they've got each other and it's all plain sailing and that's fine. But actually, it's, it's more complicated being married and you cannot... You know, that's your first priority to your, to your marriage, to keep that in good shape. And therefore, that gives you less opportunity to do other things. And we have seen in our church, and I know it will be true here, the amazing things that God is calling you who are single at this time to do. And for some of you, that single um, status and, and situation will go on longer than for others. And I think in a church community, we must help one another to, to honor that, to go for it, to celebrate it, and, and thank God for single people being able to do that, but also to help each other to make relationships. And I think in our church, um, there was a moment a few years back where actually people were kind of frozen. They couldn't kind of get together. The, the dating thing was like a no-go area and everybody felt they were in a goldfish bowl. And I don't think that's what God wants either because I think he is in the business of us meeting and making relationships. So we'd want to nurture an environment where that can happen, but in a really great uh, way within communities who are all seeking to follow the Lord. Yeah, I think that's such a good... I know you're sharing that about what you're doing here at HDB. I think it's amazing creating that culture for it. Um, dating apps, 
let's just get, you know, throw it out there a bit. What do you think about dating apps? People jumping on, those sort of things? Well, they, they didn't exist when we got together. We may not be best qualified. <laughs> so having never used them, but I do think they're important in this day and age. And, um, you know, because uh, we, we need to find ways of getting together. We need to find ways. You know, dating is really important. It is not that God is going to sort of just drop a person in front of us or drop a banner from the sky. We have to we have to say explore. this is drop a banner from the sky and say oh, this, this is, is the, the person. person for you <laughs> to marry. He didn't quite finish when he was. No, listened. I didn't know. I just went on to the next thing. Um, we have to explore. Yep. We have to and and dating, of course, always is a risk. You know, I uh, I was given the the wonderful newsletter just before the four o'clock service. I was reading um, Sophie's story under baptism news. I don't know whether Sophie is here, but Sophie, it's amazing. It is an absolutely wonderful story. And I suspect there are many people who relate to it. And it, it's, I was reading this bit where you said at the end of 2021, my self-esteem grew even worse. I was incredibly lonely because I would isolate myself rather than risking someone thinking badly of me. But each time after I had these negative thoughts, I would remember God. <laughs> and then you go on in the story. It's absolutely wonderful. And I think this is, this is so important to know that in relationships, in dating, we have to take risks. And, and one of the problems, I think, in today's culture is we have this sort of image of the perfect person yeah. and the perfect marriage. Mm. And there's a myth that there is the one for us. And our role is to either to sit in our room and pray that God will bring the one or to explore and find the one. And actually, the one doesn't exist yeah. because relate, that's not how it works. You have to explore you have to date and then i'd say if you've been on a date you're not sure go on another date don't give up too soon try to yeah, get we, to know this other person we met uh, we we know a good friend in in london who um she she um went on a dating app and she went out with this guy and she said oh she just thought no no this is no good at all and um it was really boring and um she didn't think they had much in common and, um, and, and her sister said to her, well, that's pathetic. I mean, you've given up at the first hurdle. I mean, go on another date. And she said, no, I'm not going. I'm not going. Anyway, she did go on another date. And the second date, this guy organized to... He, he, was, he had a pilot's license. <laughs> and he, and he said he would take her up in a plane. <laughs> and she thought this was going to be a disaster. But actually, what happened? It, it turned out she fell in love with she him. She married him. <laughs> and she married, married him. the pilot. <laughs> That's so, so give it another go. And I mean, we know many, many people now who come on the pre-marriage course who have met on dating apps and they go on to be married. And I think there are, you know, in, in kind of before the internet and, and sort of 20, 30, 40 years ago when we met, there, there was a kind of more of an etiquette around how you met people and how you d dated and all that. Now, with, with the internet, with social media, and the amount of time people can relate to more and more people right across the globe, you, we, we stop actually meeting lots of people face to face. And I think that's where dating apps, Christian dating apps are really great. And, you know, that's a way of, if you're struggling to meet people, um, you can. But it's also true that as well as meeting one-to-one, -one, which is important, you know, as a way of getting to know the other person, you then need to bring them into a group of your friends, into your community, because, as I said earlier, you can't be isolated as a couple. And... Sometimes bringing the other person into your group of friends will help you to get to know them better. You see them relating to them. And sometimes it's your friends who say to you, you're a great couple. Yeah. 
actually, and that really encourages you to push on and to go for it. If I could just go back to Sophie's story for one moment, because I don't think I quite finished that. This, this phrase she said, I would remember God. I think that is, uh, as Sophie goes on to talk about, it's knowing that she is loved by God, yeah. knowing that actually she can take the risks in relationships that then the story ends so beautifully. It's really good, so good. Um, as we wrap up tonight, can you give us your three top tips? And I did give you a heads up on this. So yeah, your you. three top tips uh, for relationships. Again, not just, not just romantic marriage relationships, but just for relationships in general to leave with us tonight. Yeah, thank you for giving us a little time just to think about this before. But um, uh, my top tip would be interested. And by that, I mean be interested in the other person. And we've met you know, a number of people who have gone out on a date and they said it, the other person, all they did was talk about themselves. And they said it was, it was just a disaster. And of course, the opposite is when you draw the other person out. You ask them questions. I remember years ago when I was young, actually before we were married, I remember somebody giving me this piece of advice. They said, before you go out to a party, think of three questions that you could ask to someone you've just met. And that was such a help to me. And I thought, yeah, ask them open questions. Try to draw out of them. Find out about them, what they're interested in. And when you do that, when you're interested in them, that causes the relationships to grow. And it's just, it's the same principles as on Alpha, in the Alpha small groups. Always it's asking questions. What does anybody else think? Giving people the opportunity to talk. And then in marriage, it's the same. You know, uh, I, I expect any of us, most, any, all of us rather, have been to a restaurant. We've seen a couple sitting in silence and they've stopped talking. And whenever we see that, we're so, uh, we're so sad. And because in marriage, we need to keep discovering things about each other. There's always, I'm constantly amazed at things I discover about Silla. Keep asking each other questions to draw each other out. That's what keeps a marriage growing, keeps it fresh. My top tip, I talked actually about this this morning from um, the passage in Colossians that we looked at, but it is to be an encourager and um, encouraging another person. It is just amazing the impact it can have in a relationship. And um, there's a relationship expert in, in America called John Gottman. He's probably one of the most experienced relationship experts. And he says, um, we need to to say five positive things for everyone that's not positive, that's possibly negative. And it's that, it needs to be that weighted. The, the positive, encouraging, affirming compliments are what give life, literally, in a, in a relationship. They build someone up. To encourage means to give someone courage. We all of us have areas in our lives where we lack confidence. We feel a bit inadequate. We don't match up, all those things. And a few words of encouragement can turn us around. And in relationships, in friendships, think about how can I encourage my friend? How can I encourage my work colleague who comes in and looks so unhappy? And how can I encourage my child or my teenager or my husband or wife? It, a word of encouragement has a huge impact. And then the third tip would be have fun. You know, friendships are built through things you enjoy doing together. Um, and, and so often, uh, friendships are built in, I think, in ministry contexts where you do something where you feel this is what I love doing, enjoying it. And, and in marriage, it's so important to continue to have fun, to keep doing those things you enjoy doing in, in the first place. And so uh, don't, don't get too intense. Uh, have fun, whatever that is for you, whether it's going on long hikes, whether it's surfing, whether it's culture, whether it's watching films. I don't know, it can be a thousand and one things. It can be gardening. But find others who enjoy that same thing and do it with them. That's how friendships are built. Some great tips there. And um, can we just thank Nikki and Sila so much for sharing with us tonight? Thank you, Nathan. So good. Mm.
What we'd love to do is, um, I'd love to give an opportunity just for Nikki and Silla just to pray for us, um, just a time of ministry as we've heard. God cares about each one here tonight so much. He loves you. He cares about you. He longs for us to experience healthy relationships, relationships that flourish. This is God's heart. And so I'd love just to invite you, just to lead us in a time of ministry. I'm going to invite the band just to come back up as well. Um, and for you just to lead us for that time would be amazing. Love to do that. Why don't we stand? And um, so wonderful, isn't it, that we meet and we know that Jesus is here amongst us by his spirit. And uh, Jesus says he loves to give his spirit to those who ask him. And, you know, and I, and I, I know you do it here too, but in London at every one of our services, we always ask the Holy Spirit to come. And sometimes you feel something, sometimes you feel nothing. But every time we ask, he comes. And Jesus says, how much more will your Father give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him? No other qualifications no other requirements, just ask. Ask and you will receive. And we want to do that right now. And as we do so, as we pray, we know the Holy Spirit will come. He'll come and as he comes, he will meet with us. And for some of us, as we do that, he will start to just whisper things in our hearts. Listen to what he says to you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You love to come right to us. And we pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you pour out your Spirit upon us tonight? Come, Holy Spirit. Now let's wait. Let's receive from him. Bible talks about a still, small voice he speaks to us in our thoughts. He puts what may just sort of suddenly come to you. It, it may be tonight a particular relationship, I don't know, that he's speaking to you about. Maybe a longing that you have. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd be poured out, the love of God poured into our hearts. Now, would all, all your people here, all your children know that they are deeply and dearly loved. And I think for some of you, God just wants to say those three simple words, I love you. I love you. And you know there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. There we can nothing we can do to make him love us less. He loves us because he loves us and because we're his children. And I, I felt um, the words from, I can't remember which psalm it is, commit your way to the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I know that to be true. That's what happened for Nikki and me. I, we committed our way to him and we learned that he is trustworthy. He has a plan and a purpose that is good for each one of us. And I feel some people here might feel just right now, you feel a bit disappointed or you feel um, a lot of uncertainty and you feel like there isn't a plan and you're not quite sure where you're going. And I think God wants to um, renew hope in you tonight. And in um, Ephesians chapter 3, um, a part of that amazing prayer at the end of Ephesians chapter 3 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than 
all we could ask or imagine. And I, that's the God who loves you, the God who can do immeasurably more than you are even thinking in your heart right now for your life. And, and our encouragement is to ask him. He loves to respond when we ask. And so, Lord, I pray you see the hearts, you see the desires and the longings of people here. And I pray you would give them fresh hope and faith tonight that as they commit their lives afresh to you tonight, you will lead them. You will lead them into green pastures. You will provide for them what is good. And I think God wants to put a special blessing on friendships tonight. And uh, some of you are here as friends tonight. Uh, and or maybe your friend isn't here with you, but I want to just pray, Lord, would you bless friendships in this place? Those who have close friends, would you make these friends grow richer, friendships grow richer and deeper? Do you help them to listen one to the other? Would you cause them to enjoy doing things together? And we pray for those friendships where there's a potential of marriage. We pray your blessing, Lord, on dating relationships here. Help these couples to build a strong friendship at the heart of uh, their knowing each other. And I pray too for those who are married, Lord. Would you either restore friendship or strengthen friendship, renew friendship between them? Thank you, Lord. And for those who are lonely, would you bring friends around them? Bring them, Lord, those to whom they can relate. Help them to reach out, to look out. And we, yep, sorry, go on, go on, go on, go on. No, Nikki already mentioned this thing about growing friendships. And I look back on our lives and I see just the friendship between Nikki and Nikki Gumbel and how that they've spurred one another on in the Lord. And, and I, I think that there is a room full of people here and he wants you to learn the depth of that kind of friendship and to spur one another on in the Lord, to encourage one another, to call out the best in one another. So Lord, would you bless this amazing, amazing community of people? And would you teach them? Would you empower them by your Holy Spirit to build strong, healthy relationships that are a blessing so that people will look at this community and say, just like Jesus said, as you love one another, people will know that you are my disciples. Use this community to make Jesus known to those who don't know him. May their friendships, may their marriages, may their families bring the light and the love of your gospel. In Jesus' name.